0: The short of it is that, like in any industry, you get these specialties, and sometimes the greatest advancements are found in between those things. Those specialties being combined is what is going to spark the next wave of innovation and where the magic's going to happen. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help
1: you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it.
0: If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott.
1: Here's Scott. Over the years on this podcast, we've tried to show you every single angle of what happens when you decide to stop settling, make a career change, and live your strengths as well as deciding what you want and going after it in your life and in your career. We have shown you the <laughs> ups and the downs as people are making career changes. We've shared many of those stories on the podcast in the past. You have certainly gotten the glimpse and snapshot of what happens when you're super excited and just accepted the job offer. We've had many of those stories on the on the show. What we haven't done as much It show you what happens many years after you've made a career change, many years after you've decided, you know what, I'm not going to do work and I'm not going to do life the way that I have in the past. Instead, I'm going to be much more intentional. Instead, I'm going to decide what I want and go find it in the world. And there's some really curious things that happen. After you've gone through that type of life experience, and after you've decided, I'm going to be much more strategic and intentional about how I am doing life and work from here on out. And that's exactly what we want to share with you. This episode is part of a series called, Where Are They Now?, where we bring back the very same people that made career changes, sometimes 18 months, sometimes years ago, to show the impacts of just that one single change take a listen.
0: And I've moved from one position where I originally started with the energy management team to a more hybrid position between that energy management team and the commissioning team. These are some specific things to the construction industry, specifically with mechanical electrical plumbing contracting. The short of it is that like in any industry, you get these specialties and sometimes the greatest advancements are found in between those things.
1: That's Mike Bigelow. You know, one of the really just absolute insane things, crazy, ridiculous things that happens when you make a career change by taking much more control over your career. You get to raise your family in a different way while still having a successful career, successful set of work. It is totally different, totally different especially when you learn to go after what you want instead of just what's put in front of you. And at the same time, learn to draw different boundaries. It allows you to be a better parent, a better partner, a better, well, you name it, better employee, all of the things when you're much more aligned with work that you want to do. And you've drawn some lines in what you're willing to do. Pretty cool, right? All right, let's take a listen to Mike. As he comes back and shares, several years after he's actually made this first, much more intentional career change, let's see the impacts.
0: So two years ago when we spoke, I was actually in the middle of a box fort. We were unpacking from our move to Seattle in our apartment, and I'm hoping that's what helped the sound be so good last time, was there was that nice padding (laughs) from all that cardboard around. We became parents later that year. And that was a huge, amazing transition. And that's been just a a wonderful growing experience for me and my wife ever since. The home situation actually evolved too, because what was a great apartment eventually evolved into a new home. And so I'm speaking to you now from an actual house, no box for it this time, but uh, some pretty good acoustics nonetheless. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Lastly... On the career side of things, I've been excited to grow with the projects I've been working on, and I've moved from one position where I originally started with the energy management team to a more hybrid position between that energy management team and the commissioning team. These are some specific things to the construction industry, specifically with mechanical electrical plumbing contracting. The short of it is that, like in any industry, you get these Specialties. And sometimes the greatest advancements are found in between those things. Those specialties being combined is what is going to spark the next wave of innovation and where the magic is going to happen. So I was extremely pleased to be able to move into that hybrid role and begin to take those two specialties, bridge that gap, take the best of both worlds, and to be able to develop new offerings and service lines at the company I'm working for. So it's been wonderful to work in an environment that's been so challenging and supportive. A lot of folks in both sort of my peer level as well as the management level really get what it takes to make a great work environment and to bring out the best in creative people with a STEM background and all those different things that go into making a green building work. So that's the short summary of of the two years since we've last talked on the podcast.
1: That's amazing. So I love what you're talking about in terms of when you have two specialties bring them together, and that's where innovation happens a lot of the time. I mean, you can point to countless great examples of that. You know, whether it be an Elon Musk and having the engineering as well as a number of other pieces and bringing those together to Steve Jobs, to on and on and on. There's all kinds of examples where he can point to that. And I also personally have had a lot of fun bringing multiple disciplines together. So I I get giddy when I hear people talking about that. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I also mm-hmm. am curious, just for a second before we get too far down the road here, explain to people what you get to do nowadays? How do, you, how do you quantify that? How do you identify that? Just give me a little bit of a definition around what you do on a daily basis and what that looks like for somebody who might not be familiar with the job title or the lingo
0: in your industry. Sure thing. So as a green buildings professional, one of the first pieces to understand is that many of the technologies that go into a building are actually invisible to most people. But behind that layer of invisibility is an incredibly complicated set of machines and decisions that have gone into making the structures we live and work in. There are two approaches to making sure that those assets, which in many cases will outlive the people who built them, because these buildings are lasting 50 to 100 years easily. doesn't matter what we're talking about if it's a Classic home that we're now seeing in Seattle being uh, one of my friends just moved into one of these places that was built in 1906, right? It's over 100 years old. There's still people living in there. To some school buildings, to skyscrapers. Like these are structures and machines that are going to have a huge impact and a long life. Now, how best to bring those maybe existing buildings into a more greener frame of mind, or how to think about that? incredible responsibility of creating something that is going to define the environment of a workplace or a living space for the next 50 to 100 years, there's a lot of planning and complication that goes into making that happen. You with me so far, Scott?
1: I'm with you. And what I think really is really cool here that I just want to call out is as I hear you explain this, I can start to get a sense of some of the things you get excited about as well, which is very fitting for what we talk about on this show. So carry on.
0: Great, great. So with that understanding of the complexity that's present in these buildings, without getting into too many of the details, much of what I work on is providing the transparency and the feedback mechanisms by which all of those decisions that went into making a green building or to improving operations in an existing building, we provide that mechanism, that environment, that platform for feedback and decision-making that allows the building industry to both better understand the results of its decisions and to be able to make better decisions with greater clarity in the future. Very
1: cool. I appreciate you indulging me in sharing a little bit about what you get to do on a daily basis because we throw around all these job titles mm-hmm. again and again on <laughs> – on the show for different people in different ways and it's not always obvious what they actually are or what that looks like on a daily basis so really appreciate that but i have another question here too we already acknowledged it's been two years since we last had you on the show i'm really curious in what ways since making this transition and even having some of the learnings from this last transition here, that we captured a snapshot in time when you were in the box it just after you had mm-hmm. accepted the role and moved to Seattle and all mm-hmm. of those things, how have what you learned caused you to grow, or how have you continued to grow since you were on
0: the podcast last? I've been thinking a lot about that and reflecting on that that period of growth actually. So this is a very timely question. In the same in a similar vein, maybe, that we do our best to provide greater transparency and understanding of how complicated systems work. I've been taking a look at how my own decisions and my own work impacts not just the work product that I produce or the services I provide to clients, but also how that allows me to work in a bigger, more complex organization. And one of the wonderful things about working at McKinstry is that there are a great number of folks who really get both the technical side of providing a service as well as the the soft side of the business side of of providing that same service. And it's been a great journey to better understand how I'm showing up as, as an engineer and also how I'm showing up as a leader in the organization. And being able to find my my fit in that hybrid role has really been able to say, okay, we've got these great skills from a technical perspective. How do we maximize the people skills that you're bringing to the table? And where can we provide the feedback to Mike? And and I really got to hand this to my managers because they're very polished at this. They know how to Bring these kinds of, of of information to folks' attention, and, and use that as a motivator and an inspirer. I was actually just talking to to one of my managers the other day, and he mentioned just kind of as a check in, you know, how how do you see your career progressing over the next couple of years? And we talked about being able to take the work that we're doing now, and not just complete it, but complete it in such a way that we are able to have a replicable process at the end of this that we are able to then show how this project or set of projects with a particular client could be replicated to other areas, to different sectors. Because if you think about the needs of a through K-12 school district are going to be somewhat different than the needs of a hospital, but there's enough overlap there that with the right tweaks and understanding of each different sector of, of, of the building stock out there, there'll be great opportunities to take what we learn from working on hospitals and apply that to schools and vice versa. All that said, I've been able to better understand the context for what I'm doing, both from a, you know, career trajectory perspective as well as a impact on the company and my colleagues perspective, and I also get to see the results of all of that sort of internal to the company work making impacts for our clients and for the folks that are using those buildings. A great example of this was a high school. It was a top performing building. It was green from every different perspective. It was environmentally sound materials. They did a lot of great work on building the energy and comfort packages into this um, building so that their machines were efficient, effective, using the landscape effectively. They had green roofs, solar photovoltaics, like all the different pieces you'd want in a learning environment to really show that there's a a community investment being made in the children who are going there, learning, growing in a a space that is befitting of the future leaders and, and innovators that they're going to be. What was wonderful about this school is that they had the leadership backing and the community support, not just build it from this perspective of, okay, we're going to put it together and it's going to be green. They wanted to have that ultimate test of how is the building performing and what resources do we need to bring along to make sure that that amazing piece of technology that is the school building can be handed over to the district who needs a bit of support in transitioning from the complexity of construction to the day-to-day operation. And that's happening, regardless of, of what building goes through that transition, this is this is something that the industry I'm in is working very hard to make a, a lot more smooth and, and, and understandable. So to be part of one of the first projects that really got to go through an integrated process, handing off from the group of specialists that constructed the building and made sure it was working to the folks who are going to be operating it and caring for it and the students inside for the next 50 to 100 years was a great honor. On top of all that, there was a fairly substantial incentive from the utility. And because we were able to show the building's performance, we were able to help um, troubleshoot some systems that happens in every building when it doesn't matter how how well things are done, there's always going to be something in that unknown, unknown category that comes our way. And because the district was prepared, because we were prepared, because we had the right Systems in place, the right processes in place, and most importantly, the right people in place. We were able to capture actually another fifty thousand dollars on top of that incentive for the district. So, in sum, we had a green building, as green as can be, go through its transition that all buildings go through, and because it had the support baked in to that process from going from being built to being lived in, as it were, the utilities incentive program was there to help that process, and we hit that target and then some because we had all of that homework done beforehand and we were able to put together all those different pieces in a collaborative working environment. And that was magical to be a part of.
1: You know what else I think is really magical here? As I hear you talk about this and as I hear your description of this, it's very clear to me that you have... I'm struggling for words, however, I'm going to say you have a relationship with or you feel a deeper sense of purpose here for how specific you're getting in terms of how this impacts people and who it impacts and where the impacts are. It's clear to me that this matters to you at some level. Not just not just that you're assembling a building and trying to make it as green as possible and you know hit all these metrics and da, da 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 da, but instead like how it's going to get used and how it's going to get lived in, worked in, the people that it's going to impact. But we know that, and we've got good data to support that it's not just about being able to help other people, but where it starts to enter the territory of fulfilling and meaningful and purposeful work is where you directly connect how and where and why and what you're doing for those people and that direct connection is incredibly important and and I say all that to be able to say that I think that <laughs> I remember in our conversation last time around actually even before that conversation now that I think about it because I had the pleasure of even though you worked with one of the other coaches on our team I had the pleasure of talking to you through the negotiation process and I remember you had multiple job offers and At the time, we were debating which one is a better alignment for you. So first of all, if you haven't thought about this in a while, I want to directly reinforce, I think you chose the correct one. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And then two, I'm curious what your thoughts are. You know, I know that you're living in this every single day, but how does this feel on a day-to-day basis now that you've been in here for a while? Does it feel more purposeful or meaningful or insert the word that you want to use here compared to some of your past work? And if so, why?
0: That's a very interesting question and I'm glad you've asked it. One of the pieces, and it's hard to make a comparison to to previous work because I do have a habit and a tendency to find something about whatever it is I'm doing that connects to that purpose. Even if it's something as mundane, as just making the process better so that we go from what was my first job. It was like a month turnaround on a certain type of deliverable to a week or a week and a half because we we're able to make our processes that much more effective and efficient. That example was just putting together a certain type of water system. So you get drinking water through this particular well system and It has its complications, but like any system, there's enough overlap in each different project you put together that those commonalities can be made into something effective and efficient. And all of that can be squeezed into something that's a lot faster to deliver. And of course, with the right mentorship and support like I had at that job, we were able to make that a much more compelling offering. In this case, it is certainly very impactful work, certainly very meaningful work, because I do get to work in schools. I do get to work with education, higher education as well. And that's uh, certainly something that's top of mind for me because education is such a powerful way to interact with the world and understand what's going on and to to meet cool people and to find out about fun things. I feel like I'm, I'm rambling a bit here, Scott, because one of the pieces, and this might be a little uncomfortable for me to admit, go for it, is that as I've, as I've worked through every stage of my career, I've had to actually work at connecting these dots and ever more complex systems. And so it's not that I fell into this bucket of meaning and all this meaningful, connected, important work came my way because I did all these things or was, was lucky or what have you. There is a lot of that to be said for where I've ended up, but this has also been a deliberate practice of mine. To think about, it's very easy to get lost in, okay, I'm looking at this visualization or here's a set of drawings. and What's wrong with this thing? And how do we troubleshoot this? And where's that water coming from? And is it a leak or is it condensation or whatever? Like, all those details are very easy to get caught up in. And it's these kinds of conversations when I get to talk to folks who don't know the projects I'm working on that provide a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with how all those details weave themselves into a more meaningful narrative.
1: So what I hear you saying is that it's two-sided. It's <laughs> you know, partially about the work that you've done to end up here, but it's partially about making it a deliberate practice to be able to connect the dots in a different way. And the work on that side of the coin as well in both sides. Mm-hmm. I believe, and I have seen really great research to support that that is necessary. It's, it's not a case where you just line up all the external factors and instantly, poof, you've got, you've got purpose and meaning and everything else like that. It is partially that, but then partially being able to look for the purpose and meaning in what you're doing and also understanding what creates more purpose and meaning for you. Is that part of what you're
0: saying? That's a nice summation of it. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I think that leads to another another question here. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is I know that uh, you and I could both probably nerd out about it. I know you're a very reflective person as well, and mm-hmm. <laughs> we could probably talk for hours just on on that side. But what I wanted to ask you about is since you have this great perspective and are particularly reflective on top of it, as you've learned more and more about what creates more fulfilling work for you, how has your understanding impacted your your life and your family and... Maybe you're working in other ways that we haven't talked about too. Sure.
0: Well, there's the saying that education is the progressive realization of our ignorance. And <laughs> right, it's been one of those pieces where, in gaining these sets of tools and, and those reflective understandings of, of kind of where I'm at and the importance of the work we get to do, it opens up a broader context to now re-examine all of those pieces in. And so that's been a period of sustained growth for me. And I have to be very transparent about that this is something that even though I am certainly at the center of it from my perspective, I've had a lot of help from you know everyone from you and your coaching team to my wife, my parents, in some ways, my kid, my colleagues, my bosses, supervisors, peers, folks I've worked with who might be considered subordinates, but they're they're really peers because they're such talented people. It's just all of those folks have had an impact to help me better understand what all of this work can mean in terms of, I'm kind of grasping for the words here, Scott, so I apologize. Totally okay. It's something that I realize I both have more control and responsibility in some areas than maybe I previously thought. And at the same time, there's a sense of, I, I, I only have so much control. And there's much more of, of my experience maybe needs to be chalked up to, not my experience, but um, what's the right way to put this? So the idea of of control is really limited to just what I do and how I think about processing and in the information or the, or the or the events that come my way and there's a a certain amount of reflection that goes into making that process a little bit better or growing from that those experiences and the rest of it is about the influence and impact that you can have on everyone else but it's not if you don't have the same level of control over those those outcomes it's really sort of a subtle thing because a younger mike or earlier in my career the secret sauce i would bring to the project was that i would i would simply outwork somebody or the competition or however you want to think about it and that was a fine strategy for projects that were maybe appropriate to somebody at the beginning of their career like you're you're very much on task oriented work a lot of the effort that goes into being able to give you those tasks is at least in my experience was was sort of hidden from me because I wasn't looking for it. I didn't think about it, like, oh, of course they, you know, would hire us and we're going to be engineers and do this stuff for them. But there's a lot more that goes into that. The point at which you're delivering a service is so far down a, a chain of events that I've come to realize that it's really your your responsibility and in some cases your privilege to be able to work on these kinds of of things, and what I mean by that is, by the time some projects have come to me, there have been dozens of conversations from marketing and sales folks. They've gone through a whole contracting process and negotiation around that. In some cases, folks have had to submit competitive bids, and in many cases, actually, my current company—that's you know—it's a competitive world out there, so. Not only did we do all of those sales, marketing, contracting, negotiation, et cetera, for the project that we get to work on, there was a number of those that we went through a good portion of that stack and were not successful in winning the work for whatever reason. So there's all that extra overhead effort that went into just getting the things that are coming in my door, as it were. So... That perspective, that realization that I'm part of a much bigger, broader team working on much more complicated problems, is is humbling and it's also motivating in the sense that I, I can better understand the, the greater system that we're working in, and that how we think about each part of that system can bolster and improve the others, if you will.
1: What's an example of that where you found? Like, what's a specific example where you've encountered that? Mm-hmm.
0: So we're going to we're gonna dive into a little bit of the green building world here, so a bit of context for, for folks who aren't in that space as often as I am. There's a process towards the end of construction of a new building. Typically, this is for more complicated buildings like office buildings or commercial spaces and things like that. They don't always do this for houses, but they may do it for multifamily housing. And this process is essentially a quality assurance process called commissioning. And it's not required everywhere, but typically it's required for, for green buildings, especially for participating in a program like LEED. And certain jurisdictions say you have to do this as well. So this quality assurance process is called commissioning. And much of that is, and it sounds simple, but it's kind of complicated, just making sure everything works the way it should. And 95 to 98% of the time, all you're running through is a checklist saying, yep, that light turns on properly and has the right schedule and the programming's correct. And when we come into this space, it has the right machines that are powered up properly and they're producing heating and cooling when they need to and all those kind of different things. So that process, though, does catch many of those issues that would not necessarily be easy to fix once the building was occupied or they're just these goofs that happen in any complicated project that because all the specialists are still on site, um, they're able to correct these kind of issues that come up. And sometimes it's a warranty piece, like all the machines were installed properly, but coming from the factory, it just didn't work. So they can get the part figured out and, and replaced. So that commissioning process requires a certain level of understanding of how the building is being put together, how it's supposed to work, and then the second step is, how do we actually show that? How do we test that? So that's, that's the challenge of commissioning, at least a stage of it. Taking that process to the next stage of, okay, now that we've proved out all these pieces, how can we think about taking that from a, a, a snapshot, if you will, a construction oriented one-time event and make it into something that's a little bit more sticky it has uh, further engagement. We have that transition between the folks who put this thing together and who are operating it and the commissioning person who's already done all this work to figure out how the building works or how the system works if we want to take it from a more generalized perspective. And they they essentially go from you know builders to users and, and translate that knowledge from one realm to the next. So that service with the users can be called something like monitoring-based commissioning or ongoing commissioning, and this is where you use the building systems, the sensors that are already in the building, maybe a couple of other data gathering devices, and you have those systems now reporting back to you about how everything's going and how it's all working. And you can still run tests, you can still check to make sure things are working. and this produces a better overall result for the occupants. They now have an expert that they can go to. There is a feedback loop between, oh, huh, that's funny, or I'm a little chilly, or, or something maybe benign or, or anecdotal. And why is the air conditioning on right now as opposed to anything else? Bingo, right? All those kind of things that we've maybe encountered once or twice in, in recent memory. So With those anecdotal pieces of information and the data you get from the building systems themselves, you've got not only a service that you can sell, but a feedback mechanism that then you can take all of that information and give it back to the folks who design these buildings and who construct them. I had a great conversation with an engineering colleague of mine who is strictly in the design world, and we talked a little bit about a particular type of system uh, architecture a way of approaching this problem of heating and cooling a space and making folks comfortable without using a lot of energy to do it. And his ask of me it was like, "Well, well Mike, um, if I had to ask of you know, any of these pieces of, of information that you're gathering, can you actually just tell me about how the pressure in the system is changing over time? What, what are you talking about? Why is the pressure that important?" And he went out to outline that this one piece of information would be valuable to him because it would talk about the durability and longevity of the system. And so then when they're making design decisions, it's not just about an energy question then. It could also be about a maintainability question. Ah. And that piece of information that I would just gather as part of maybe troubleshooting and making sure things are going well, like that was the critical piece of information that he needed to feed back to his design process. Very cool. Thank you. So there's that kind of understanding from a delivery perspective that you're already in this greater ecosystem. And by asking more questions, by understanding or making an effort to understand the greater system in which your work takes place, you can then think about how to make those kind of connections that wouldn't otherwise be made. Love that.
1: And I also want to ask you a completely different question too with some of our remaining time. However, I want to read you an email that you sent me first, or at least a portion of an email. One of the things, and I'll preface this email and say that one of the things I think you do a really phenomenal job at is... (laughs) utilizing your time in multiple different ways. I have a special appreciation for that because we've even created a a name around that. We call it multi-purpose activities or multi-benefit activities. And I see you doing lots of that. I also see you being very interested in creating a life and work that really fits with what you want and how you want to show up in the world. And I think you've done a really nice job with that. And that's why it was so fun for me and my team to work with you uh, two years ago or whatever it's been now. However, let me go ahead and read this email that illustrates that. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. We sent out an article and I think we used you, your, your story as an example. And you sent me a note back that said, hey, I wanted to let you know that I'm also practicing number six, taking a class. This was about designing career experiments. Oh, sure. Over family leave, I found the kiddo wouldn't sleep unless being held, so I put the time to use. Our nightly routine had become feed, then sit for an hour until sleep. Happy to help the kids snooze. And I put this time to use by right, researching data analysis methods. It ended up being over 40 hours of classes during my family leave. My boss was thrilled I came back with an expanded toolbox and put me to work on a a multi-office data analysis project at the core of expanding our business. And so I thought that was a super cool example of one, how you think, and then two, just being able to put some of those multi-purpose, multi-benefit time or activities to use. Because I think that doing that has been one of the reasons and being intentional in that way has been one of the reasons it's led you to be able to get exceptions made for you that maybe aren't made for some other people in the in the world and get to more of that work or the type of situations that you want it's not been by accident one do you agree with that and then i've got a, the question
0: sure one thing i'd like to point out to everyone listening is do take a listen to what scott just said and how he said it he has done a wonderful job of framing this He's got a lot of enthusiasm behind it. Just there's, there's so much to learn from that last framing question that he just put together. So please do yourself a favor and go back and listen to it. I know that's what I'm going to do as soon as this thing comes out, because that was beautiful, Scott. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. The question I wanted to ask you, though, as I was going back through and re- <laughs> rereading some of our emails back and forth, mm-hmm. was as you are thinking about the life that you want to, to create, how does How does that show up in in your world and just give us some insight into into your head and how you how you think about that, and then maybe one or two other examples of where you have been able to been able to do that, whether it be at home or be at work
0: yeah, I like that example that you brought up about taking the data analysis class during during the uh, family leave. It was one of those pieces where I was I was interested in that area. There was direct applicability to what I was working on. And it was wonderful to have both the time and honestly the Udemy discount to take that class and and to delve into data science a little bit. In terms of those opportunities to expand the toolbox, as it were, I, I do my best to think about what areas I feel like I'm struggling with, what areas I feel I'm interested in, and think about ways or or resources to help better understand those pieces. Maybe a a good recent example is, as my work has evolved, I've had many more client interactions and and I've been put on some great projects that require a lot of time out of the office on site. And so I'm driving a lot to these these different locations although driving around a lot is a bit of a bummer, I said, well, you know, you've got all this time, Mike. Why don't you start listening to books on tape uh, to, to make this time something a little bit more than just drive time? Like, let's let's learn something here. And so in terms of that, that dead space being converted to a learning space, I, I've had the, the opportunity to quote-unquote read, if you will, many of these, these books that get referenced around career happiness or charisma or statistics and and signal and noise, or or there was another great one, thinking in bets, which was about decision-making and probability and and how all those pieces need to maybe be thought about differently in order to increase your chances of success. And it's been wonderful to have that kind of technology available so that I can scratch those itches that come up and I'm able to, to better use that time effectively both for my own personal growth as well as for gaining a better understanding of the sort of the meta skills that go into any business maybe a takeaway from this is that from and and this is is, this is such an engineering approach to
1: (laughs) i would expect nothing less
0: well it is but so so this is such an engineering approach to the 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 piece that i'm about to talk about i know it still makes me chuckle sort of in a in a self-reflective way Um, So in that thinking in Betts book, they talk about how success or failure has at least some elements that are outside of your control. So that's sometimes bad luck and sometimes it's bad process. And and the challenge is to be able to separate those things. And it's that understanding that sometimes your failures and your successes are not entirely due to your actions. That was something that allowed me, that idea got me over the, the sort of management or leadership hump that I was working on in terms of like how to better talk about or to think about things that go right and things that don't go right on different projects. When I, when I get very detail-oriented, I can get really intense. And that can be tough to, to be in my own head sometimes about that. And it can come off as like, wow, this guy is like on top of it, but at the same time, like, oh my goodness, that is, that is a level of intensity being brought to this work that is just maybe a little bit much. It doesn't happen often, but it's one of those pieces that I don't really want it to happen all at all. Uh, I want to be the approachable person that I know I can be when I'm my best self. So that idea of failure might not be completely up to the actions of the folks, including myself, who are who are working on whatever piece was there, was very liberating in the sense that okay, there are things that we can do better. At the same time, we can focus on that process, the thing that is in our control, the outcome, although it it is what it is, it doesn't have to be the the focus and it doesn't have to always warrant the level of reaction that I was giving it mostly inside my own head, but that trickles out and affects everybody around me. So I, I have to do a better job of managing that. And that particular idea from that particular book has been one that resonated with me in a way that I feel I've been able to be more accepting of kind of what comes along and to remind myself about where to best focus my energies and efforts.
1: So what I hear you saying on one side of the, the coin is you have continuously found ways to multi-use that time. And then you know, within one of these, one of these books, it sounds like part of the way that, uh, that it is showing up for you in the, in the real world is that you have this tendency to get really, really, really zealous and really into the details and really into, and I can totally see that. And uh, just in every interaction that I've had with you. And I think that that is a super great thing about you. I also know that what is super great about every human being sometimes has a negative side as well. It's it's a two-sided coin. So it turns out. Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> and one of the ways that that shows up as a potential negative, if you're not cautious or not using the, the great side of it is that people are like, whoa, it, you know, he's not relatable because it's a level of intensity that I am not comfortable with, for lack of a better phrase. And you, it sounds like, have become more cautious and taken an engineering approach to that, which I love, by the way. Mm-hmm. So here's another question, you know, just out of curiosity, what's a couple of the other books that you've dove into and really have enjoyed here on your extra time?
0: Sure. I've really enjoyed the Charisma Myth. That was a, a wonderful blueprint to better understand how you can both practice showing up differently and, and some of the mental frameworks mm-hmm. that can change the inner game, as it were so that you can better, I'm trying to think of an alternative way to say show up, because but it really is showing up. Yeah, sure. How you can better do those sorts of things. Also, just as a way to challenge myself, I've, I've listened to, let's see, there was Thinking in Best, there was The Charisma Myth, and then another book, Signal and the Noise by Nate Silver, that was pretty good. What's been interesting is not just the authors and, the, and what they've been talking about, but it's also the the meta principles that are kind of going into all these different books and starting to think about how do these folks come by these skills how did they get the right combination of both the specialty that they're that they're presenting on as well as the presentation skills that they're working on and in some cases the the not just the writing but the auditory skills i believe that Annie Duke, the the author of Thinking in Bets, read the book herself, which was fantastic to hear from. Uh, it's just it's a wonderfully produced audiobook, and I'd highly recommend that to, to folks who are thinking about decision making and how to maybe use different frameworks or different approaches to improve your outcomes and your processes around creating those outcomes.
1: I have. And I'm being conscious of, of the time because I think that you and I could easily chat for many, many hours. However, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily have many, many hours. And I wanted to make sure that I asked you one question in particular before our time is up and that I want to get you in right in the mind space here first before I ask it though. So I want you to go way back to the time where you had found out that, hey, your wife is going to need to move to Seattle and that you love her, so you want to stay married to her. So that means you're going with. That's the way that I understood it anyways. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that space, I know one of the things that you were thinking about is, okay, well, I need to change jobs and I don't just want to take any job. Yeah, that's, that's something that I recall fairly vividly that you were adamant that you just didn't want to take whatever was thrown at you. And instead, we're looking at this as a way to level up, if you will, in not just necessarily responsibility or those pieces, not necessarily just in terms of advancements, but also having better and better alignment with what you wanted for your work and your life. So put yourself in that mind space. And if you're in that situation where you're needing to make a change and because we've got a lot of people that are listening to this right now that are in that place, maybe their wife hasn't been required to move to Seattle, but they're needing to make a change and realize and recognizing that it's time and what was good for them at one point is no longer great in the same way for one reason or another. What advice would you give those people that are right there
0: right now? I would say that consistent, small action is more powerful than you think. And what I mean by that is when I first started that process, I just challenged myself to write one email reaching out to somebody saying, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Seattle. I'd like to get your thoughts on how the engineering and green building market is out there. And it was that mindset and that habit and that space that I afforded myself that it doesn't have to be an all-consuming thing. So long as I'm making consistent, and if it's just a little bit every day, even if it's small, that was going to be enough. That principle has allowed me to both find the work that I'm in now, uh, as well as to keep this... Learning and growth on, you know, the the career path I'm on, as we move through, you know, getting hired and going through the first couple of projects. And you know, these are projects that go on for years at a time. So the first projects that I started off with have just finished up. And any of those pieces, be it your career, a job change, long projects, they're all part sprint and part marathon. And my experience has been that that small, consistent action has both produced great results in the end and also allowed me to keep the sort of momentum and mental state to keep in the game and to keep at those different projects or tasks or job searches, career campaigns, or however you want to frame those pieces, that it is such a process and you don't necessarily know what's going to work out well and you don't necessarily know what's going to be a false lead. And so the best approach that I've found to that has been to, again, just keep trying those little pieces and then nothing is, is so big that if it fails or doesn't come through, you're sunk. You've always got something else to keep you going. And that at the end is what has brought me a lot of success is that I keep going at those tasks and those goals. they they're gonna change, things are gonna adjust. It's okay to make different decisions and change your mind about how things are going and the direction you want to go as you're as you're moving through this. Like we're not robots. We we take information in and we gain better understanding through these these processes and this journey. So it's okay to make those changes and having the toolbox and the understanding and the framework, as it were, of that small, consistent effort is the best way I've found to make that happen.
1: Hey, you know, it's kind of crazy. Literally every single success story that you've heard on the podcast where people have made a significant change in their career and life, every single one of those started with just two things, Just, just two things. Number one, a decision, a decision to be able to do life and work differently from here on out and a conversation. Yeah, no joke, a conversation with my team. So if you've already made the decision that you're going to do your work and your career differently, much more intentionally, much more strategically, fitting your strengths and ideals from here on out, well, then guess what? We'd love to have a conversation with you to figure out the very best way that we can help. Here's the easiest way to do that. Just pause this and send me an email, Scott at happentoyourcareer.com. Put conversation in the subject line. That's it. Here's what will happen my team will get on the phone with you or Zoom, and we will figure out the very best way that we can help support you for where you want to go. That's it. That's all you have to do. Scott at conversation in the subject line, and we'll help you get started. Pretty cool, right? Stay tuned tomorrow to hear another story of a successful career change much, much later with our next episode of the Where Are They Now series
0: just focus on on that little ask where it's not this big, massive thing that you're going to have to change in your role. It's just one thing where maybe one day a week or one day a month, you don't have to fight with traffic. You can get a little bit
1: more done and you, and you kind of buy yourself a little bit of room where you don't feel like the company's taking
0: advantage of you and then go back and show that by doing that, you were able to produce more and it's really helping the company out as well.
1: Until then right here on Happen to Your Career. I am out. Adios.